Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. Before we get started, if you like the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you use. It really helps other folks find us. If you'd like to be a guest, recommend a game, or just say hi, you can find me on Twitter at notalone underscore horror, or email me at youarenotalonepod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'm sorry for all the delays on this episode. Between my second vaccination shot and a few work emergencies, the last couple of weeks have been very busy. I am so excited to be back. This week, I'm joined by Kat McDonald to play their amazing game, Heroic Chord. Heroic Chord is a tabletop game inspired by the JRPG genre. In the game, you play rangers who have been called by the gods to travel the world. Each ranger has a different set of skills that help the group deal with horrors. Remnants of the great war that ravaged the land made undying. There's a lot of really slick game design in Heroic Chord that I'm not going to mention here, because Kat and I spent a good bit of time talking about it in the intro. It is a really cool game, and you should definitely check it out. It's currently in playtest mode, and you can grab a copy of the playtest packet for free over at peachgardengames.itch.io. Since Kat and I talk a lot about the game in the intro, let's just jump in. This week, we are playing the game Heroic Chord. Heroic Chord is a game in playtest right now that is a really amazing game, inspired by all of your favorite JRPGs. It does some really interesting things around skill challenges in combat, where the characters are not, are not defined by their physical attributes, but are defined by how they approach situations. It's a really interesting game, and I'm really excited to play it. And joining me this week to play it is the creator of the game, Kat. Hey, Kat, how's it going? Hi. I'm having a great time. How about you? Oh, I am doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to play this. I'm oh. super excited to uh, to try this game out. Anything not to be the GM. <laughs> I know that feeling very well. <laughs> so, something I'd say to like all game designers is like, if you're not prepared to be the forever GM, then learn. Don't don't design games. Yeah. Oh, well, I uh, again, thank you. And uh, just before we start talking about Heroic Chord, why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, where they can find you on the interwebs? Sure thing. I am the designer at Peach Garden Games. You can find my games at peachgardengames.com. And you can also find the podcast Sword of Symphonies, of which I am the self-titled host king in which my friends do an actual play of Heroic Chord. And it's been running for, oh gosh, two years. So the game has changed a lot. And it's a really interesting insight into our testing process. Right now I'm working on a game based on Monster Rancher for a single person to play. But that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> that is not, although I am excited to, uh, to try that game out too once it's available. I love ranching. I mean, ranching and monsters, it's a good combination. Beautiful. Kids these days don't know. It's true. <laughs> There's a, a, a monster ranch-sized hole in their hearts. <laughs> that hopefully your game will help, uh, help fix. Here's open. 
Uh, but in fact, we are here uh, to talk about Heroic Chord. I'm really excited about this because Heroic Chord is at its heart a big adventure game. It's based on games like Ryutama and Dungeons and Dragons, just big adventure games. But as an encounter writer myself, whenever I'm writing a story, I tend to veer horror. My friend Nick jokes that I tried to write Breath of the Wild, but I keep writing Majora's Mask. <laughs> and so when I saw the when I saw the call go up, I was like, well, it's not a horror game, but it can be if your heart's there. It's true. I have learned over the last uh, 20 years of playing role-playing games that anything can be a horror game uh, if you really want it to be. If you believe and clap your hands. <laughs> I will. I'm going to I'm going to clap as hard as I can and see if we can turn turn heroic chord into a horror game. I think I think I've done it in my head. We'll see if that translates to play. So stoked. This is going to be fun. So yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about the game and introduce your character. I guess to start our best places, why don't you just give us, what is the elevator pitch of Heroic Chord? Okay. Heroic Chord takes place in a world that faced an apocalypse a hundred years ago. The mountains in the middle of the continent melted and just wiped out most signs of humanity. And now a hundred years later, people are trying to reclaim the world for themselves and protect each other against the remnants of humanity's war-torn past. Excellent. That is, uh, that def definitely <laughs> summarizes it, summarizes it really well from my experience of reading the rules. I mean, it is, uh, we talked about this before I hit record, but uh, like, immediately upon reading the rules to this game, I wanted to go play Final Fantasy and every great JRPG out there. Because <laughs> it, it definitely, the influence there is obvious, <laughs> but in a way that makes it, uh, like, like you said, like it has that big fantasy Dungeons and Dragons feel that JRPGs don't necessarily always have. But its heart is definitely in that JRPG world. <laughs> I I wear my influences on my sleeve. <laughs> I'm the least subtly human being on the planet. It works though. This game really <laughs> is. It really is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot like as I mentioned in my introduction, the 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 thing that jumped out at me the most, and this is one of those things where like as soon as I read it it made perfect sense to me, but it's something that I can't necessarily point to another game that does it, which is the, the facets in the game, which are, you know, take the place of attributes. Yeah. The idea of, instead of having like strength and constitution and intelligence, having a game that instead has a set of facets that are how you approach problems what your pro like where where you lean on as a problem solver is brilliant oh thank you and like i said i don't know if i can actually point to another game that i've seen do anything like this there are a couple but for me it really stemmed from the fact that i don't believe objective intelligence is a thing 
it's not something I believe in that one person is flat out smarter than another person, especially since we tend to put value judgments on stuff like that just felt a little wrong. And so the more I puzzled over it, the more I was like, well, why don't I just throw the lot of them out the door then? I, I like that a lot. I like that it lets you play the exact character you want because none of those things are like, you don't put any kind of objective numbers on anything defining about the characters, like, physical or mental nature yeah you can play any kind of body and any kind of mind that you want in this game and it's how you use your body and mind that's going to be recorded in the form of your stats that is really i I love that so much um no and it immediately made me rethink like all of my game design oh no or at least all of my uh, granted I don't design I tend to design story games so a lot of my games don't have attributes. Okay. Uh but the games I've designed that do have attributes I'm like why why did I use them? And um, well that's that's the thing about game design is that like there's a lot of things that we do that we just do because they're done like stats or skills or combat and heaven knows I've got a couple in here. And sometimes you just need to break stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the 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 six stats are I are largely there in so many games just because you know forty years ago Gary Gygax came up with six statistics. Yeah, and now we like we still use them just because that's the way we've always done it. Mm. Hmm. And I like I in in like in my life running a church. I my biggest pet peeve is when someone says we like this is just the way we've always done it. Yeah. Because so much of like how and I, most of the world I feel like is like this but the church world is so behind in certain ways. And like so many times people will be like, "Well, that's just the way we've always done." It. I'm like, "If you can give me a legitimate reason why we do it that way, then great." If not, like, we're not going to do it that way anymore because it costs more money, it takes more time, it, yeah, you know, here are all of the negative reasons. If you can give me a reason why we should still do it in the face of that. I think you should always be engaging with tradition mindfully. Like, you should never engage thoughtlessly with tradition or you're just going to repeat old patterns and you may do real harm. But if you look at tradition and mindfully choose what you're going to keep then you'll know that you're carrying on a tradition for the right reasons. And that's, that's something that's also very important to me. Yeah. 100%. I think that is because in, in anything, whether it's games or culture or anything, tradition, there is an importance to tradition, but when tradition holds you back from your best self or your best game, it's time for that tradition to go by the wayside or at the very least change in some, some way that, that allows for improvement. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So, so in the game, you play you play rangers who are people that the gods have called into uh, into service, and so you have a character already made, a ranger named Mitchell. Yeah. And so, before we start playing, let's talk a little bit about Mitchell. All right. So uh, Mitchell is a wandering magus, 
which means that the god who called him was Wandering Hector. All the gods in Amilta, the world of Heroic Chord, are monuments. They're sleeping in the form of just stones. And Hector is a giant chunk of obsidian attached to the back of an enormous desert tortoise. So unlike the other gods of this world, Hector is not stationary. Mitchell, in order to find him and finish his pilgrimage, needed to wander the desert searching for this desert creature. And that's kind of the point of the class, the Wandering Magus. They have a lot of tracking abilities. They have a lot of abilities that have to do with finding things and navigation. That is awesome. I love uh, all of the gods that you created are very cool. Yay. I because I have a a deep love of turtles. Uh, <laughs> Hector Hector spoke to me on a very deep level. <laughs> the king of the desert is actually based on my pet tortoise. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is that's awesome. Because I love tortoises so much. They're just, they are uh, just the best. You're so charming. I watched a video, before we have to get into serious horror mode, I watched a video the other day of a tortoise in Africa that chased away two lions that had come to its watering hole. <laughs> They're aggressive. They are very, and especially like certain certain ones more so than others. Like we had a lot of snapping turtles where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so like very early on, I learned not to mess with just random turtles that I found in the crick. Yeah. But yeah, like these two giant lions were like, we're going to, we're going to get some water at this hole. And the turtle came up and was like, Oh no, no, this is my watering <laughs> hole. Literally like came up to the mouth of the male lion and like bit its tongue. Yeah. As it was lapping at the water uh, and chased two giant lions away. Yeah. My, my tortoise is certain he can fight me. And if I, if I take him out of his terrarium, he'll prove it. Oh no. Like, I'm so much bigger than he is, but he will fight me, and he will try his best to win. He's the, he's the pits. I love him. So awesome. I love uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Mitchell is a, a wandering magi, a ranger devoted to wandering Hector. What are Mitchell's pronouns? Let me get that. Oh, he, him. Mitchell is a he, him. The five stats in Heroic Chord are daring, understanding, sensitivity, Subtlety and adaptability. And of these, Mitchell's best stat is sensitivity. He's very good at noticing things about his surroundings, and that's what he uses to solve problems. Excellent. His worst stats are subtlety and adaptability. (laughs) He's not a particularly stealthy fellow. He doesn't really hide his motives well, and he can be a little set in his ways. I, I feel like that's something that comes with wandering the desert. Like that that feels that feels right to me. Yeah. He doesn't roll with things as easily as some people. In place of where some games have like an alignment system, Heroic Chord has a key. And what that is is a list of five things that motivate your character. And you can use them to get extra dice on actions. We're not gonna worry about everything in the game right now. But Mitchell's key is gentleness, sharpness, warmth, courage, and sloth. I love it. That is such a a great, a great collection of descriptors. He's, I picture Mitchell as being like ruddy skinned, dark haired, and like a bit of a portly fellow. Just, uh, he's, 
He's he's lazy and he's a bit of a slacker, but he's got a surprising amount of endurance if you test him. I love it. I if if uh, if if Mitchell existed on Earth instead of Amilta, I feel like Mitchell would be a friend of mine. <laughs> I I really I I love where this character is going. Yeah, I love I love playing this guy. I've done it before too. So I'm I'm I almost feel bad. Uh, that I will be subjecting Mitchell to some horrors. Yeah, you're going to be bullying my poor boy. I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> in advance, Mitchell. So yeah, so that gives us a, a good understanding of who Mitchell is. Uh, to give players a little bit, uh, if if we get into a kind of more complex conflict resolution, we'll talk about we will talk about that system. But to just let folks know, like when skill checks happen, because that's probably what they'll hear for the first little bit of the game, at least. You'll tell me how you're approaching it, and we'll figure out which which of those aspects makes the most sense, and that will determine kind of the base pool of dice that you'll be rolling to to figure it out. So are you using sensitivity? Are you using daring? How uh, How is Mitchell tackling this? And that'll give you the base. And then if you want to invoke one of the aspects of your keys, that can add two dice. And then your skill, if you have a skill that will help, will add one additional die per season, which I guess is kind of like level. Yeah. A little bit. It will add one die for for each each season you have. You'll roll all of those. And then on a five or six, that is a success. Also, ones are available as a potential success if you take a story complication that I offer you. And we'll look at the total number of successes you have and see how well you do. Yuppers. I think that's right. If that does that, I'm saying this as much to make sure that I know what I'm doing running your game for you. Yuppers. No, you're you're exactly there. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Excellent. So yeah, and then uh, for primarily for combat, but for kind of more complicated systems, there's an advantage pool system, which I really like. Um, and like I said, we'll we'll dive into that. We'll kind of take in a, a little bit of an aside the first time we have to use that and let folks know about how that works. So yeah, so I think that's... Oh, the other thing uh, we should probably talk about is magic in Amilta. Oh, yes. Which is... As 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 a poetry student, very appealing to me. Oh, uh, uh, the way magic works in this game. I'm glad. I I tend to describe it as being like fridge poetry. I I will admit that the first thing I thought of when I looked at it was the 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 fridge poetry sets you can get. Yeah. So there are two things that I want to talk about about magic. The first is kind of the in-game way it works is that you kind of push your consciousness out of yourself. So the more you cast spells, the more you begin to kind of dissociate. And when you hit 10, you have cast so much magic that you are all out of your body and you lose consciousness. And that's because there's, there's a lot of mental illness themes in this game because I have a lot of mental illness themes in my brain. So <laughs> that's, that's where that comes from. That's where that comes from. And so what you do in order to cast a spell is I have a list of six pieces on my, on my character sheet. Mitchell's are finding, moving, searching, sands, strength, and sun. 
And whenever I'm in a scene and I would like to cast a magic spell, I'm going to ask what the words in the environment are because the environment has its own spell pieces. I'm going to take one of mine and one of the GMs. I'm going to mash them together and then I'm going to try and sell our GM on what that does. I love it. I, I like that that element of making magic up on the fly. I, I love when you make your own magic. I always have, always will. It's my favorite thing in games. And it is, I really, so I like when it, reading through, uh, per- particularly the, the environmental pieces, the suggestion in the game is to like have six in mind, but only give the player like three of them, and then potentially roll a sensitivity focus roll to like feel the other pieces in the environment, the things that might be hidden below. Yeah. Which I, I really like the reading the game, the magic system to me is the place where I feel horror the most. (laughs) Yeah. Same between like what happens as you scatter and the idea, like I have in my mind of like, all right, like hiding certain spell pieces of the environment and being able to reveal them in opportune moments, like the ability for horror there. Yeah. There is a lot of potential there to get real creepy. I often use that as a way of foreshadowing things. The players will ask me for the hidden pieces and I will tell them and they'll be like, oh, oh no. Joke's on them. That's no good. That's that's not what I wanted a spell piece to be. That's not what I wanted to hear. Yeah, I love that. As someone who DMs predominantly horror games, that was my first thought <laughs> when I read the the sensitivity focus to feel hidden pieces. I was like, oh, I could do so many mean things with that. Yeah, yeah, I can and have. Oh, I love it so much. Aww. So yeah, so that is, I think, everything kind of that we need to know in the moment about Mitchell. I will likely ask some questions as we play. I'm here. To find out a little bit more about Mitchell's backstory and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, excellent. I-, I think with that, we are about ready to play. So yeah, so I think we start on a wide shot, and we see, as far as the eye can see, fields of tall grass blowing gently in the breeze. Among the grass, we see what almost look like clouds moving on the ground. And in the far, far distance... We see desert. And Mitchell is moving in the lands between the goat home veldt and the endless desert, returning from some mission. And we see this this form of Mitchell moving through the grass, the grass parting for him. And we get closer, and we realize those moving clouds are incredibly fluffy goats moving through the grasslands. And we get closer, and we get closer, and we see Mitchell walking. And the first question I want to ask is, what what 
is Mitchell returning from? What mission was Mitchell just on that he completed? Hmm. Normally, normally he's a search and rescue volunteer because he's very good at finding things and people. You know, since we're doing a horror story, I think he is not returning successfully. He found the person he was looking for, but was too late. That's why he's returning alone. That That is a shame. Yeah, it sucks. He's real bummed out about it. But I do imagine that that is a hazard of the job. Sometimes you just are a little bit too late. Yeah. So Mitchell is returning to the endless desert where the wandering magi have a small temple where they keep information to report how this mission went. And Mitchell is getting close to the desert, but is still probably a day or two away. And the sun is starting to set. It's getting dark. It's getting a little bit chillier. And as Mitchell is walking and kind of thinking about, I, I, I would imagine as a traveler, Mitchell knows that the goat home veldt at night is not necessarily the safest place. He does know this. I, I think I, Amilta as a whole is haunted by creatures called horrors which are the world's memories of long gone human cruelty and suffering. And they are especially prevalent on the Velt, which used to be the battleground of the last war. And he does not want to fight them because they are yucky. They are not great. <laughs> well, I think he doesn't want to fight them because it's work, but... He can, I feel like Mitchell could hold both both of those uh yeah both of those truths at once. Yeah. Has has Mitchell encountered any of these horrors yet in his travels this time around or has he gotten lucky so far? So far on this trip I think he has been lucky, but that is not always the case for him. He has fought horrors in the past. He doesn't like to and in fact he doesn't fight. He's not a fighter. He never has been. So when faced with a horror, Mitchell is very good at redirecting them, at like tricking them, at hiding from them, everything but actual combat, which he's bad at. That makes sense. As, as a survivor, you know, Mitchell has to have some way of, of avoiding these, these horrors that exist everywhere. And yeah. Redirecting them is as as good as, maybe not as good for other people, but is at least as good for Mitchell uh, as actually destroying them. But yeah, so it is it is getting late. What does Mitchell do knowing that he's got at least one more night in the Velt before arriving in the desert? Mitchell's going to keep going. He has traveled the desert extensively. He had to travel the desert in order to find Hector. And he knows that you travel through the night and you sleep during the day. That's been how he does his operations, both in the desert itself and on the veld. Okay. So the sun continues to get lower and it continues to get cool 
not cold. The Velt doesn't really get cold necessarily, but it's it's definitely chillier than it was an hour or so ago. And Mitchell catches the scent of something. And it's kind of hard to tell, like, Mitchell being an expert tracker knows that it's not necessarily a dangerous smell, but knows also that it's kind of far off and a little bit a little bit tricky to identify. Um, are you asking me for a roll? Yeah, let's see. What, uh, how, how is Mitchell approaching this mysterious scent? I would like to roll sensitivity tracking. That makes sense to me. He's just going to, he's going to stop. He's going to take it in. And I would like to add his key of sharpness. I think that makes sense. Mitchell is very alert. He's a slacker, but he's always paying attention. Wee, so many dice. Here we go. I got so many threes. You don't even oh, know no. how many threes I got. Oh, no. I, I got one success and one edge success on, I kid you not, seven dice. That is... This bodes well. <laughs> Poor Mitchell. This is why I This is why I can't power game. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to assemble Mitchell's literal best possible role. And then get uh, success and an edge success. <laughs> We talked a little bit about edge successes before, but yeah, I have to agree to a devil's bargain with the GM in order to keep them. So yeah, so I I think at this point, I I don't think Mitchell needs the edge success. I think one success is enough Okay. for this particular role. See, Mitchell stops and kind of just starts to, to, you know, kind of try and identify what this smell is. And Mitchell realizes that it, it's it's the smell of cooking, and it's still a ways off, but it smells like maybe some kind of stew or some very like fragrant meat-based dish being cooked somewhere kind of off in the distance, but in the general direction of the desert. Well, he's headed that way anyway. Mitchell's first thought is, wow, that smells nice. Wow, I'm hungry. Mitchell's Mitchell's second thought is, if there's people out there, are they going to be okay? And he's, I mean, the answer to both of those things is to go find them. So he straightens his pack and heads out. Excellent. It is the only way to know for sure uh, if these people are okay. Uh, So Mitchell starts to follow his nose and he's moving through this tall grass. And every now and then, one of these gigantic fluffy goats kind of jumps out in his path Ah. and scatters off into the distance. They seem, as a rule, not to be terribly put off by people. Um, And they are these just giant fluffy goats that look like clouds. And because they have so much fur, they move quietly through, through the grassland. And again, Mitchell, being a consummate traveler, knows that these are are the goats that give the goat home velt its name. And as Mitchell follows his nose to uh, to the source of this smell, eventually, after maybe about an hour or so of travel, in the distance, Mitchell sees a, a small cottage. Yeah, didn't know this was here. And it is... It's nowhere near like a town. It's very much out in its own space. 
this tiny little cottage, there's smoke coming up from the fireplace. And this is definitely where that smell is coming from. Oh, well, I guess if they live here, they must be fine. If they live here. It's not like it's travelers. So that that reassures Mitchell at least somewhat because, you know, they're not just like people wandering dangerous places and I don't know, befriending goats and whatever it is people do out here. Yeah, it is definitely not like a, a band of brigands or anything along those lines. At least one would imagine, unless brigands have taken over this cottage and decided to make a stew. Which doesn't seem terribly brigandy. Yeah, at that point, isn't it just the people who live here? Like, it's super weird for people to live here, but... Well, I guess they don't need his help. He's still going to kind of walk up. He's really curious about this cottage because this is such a weird place for a person to be living. It it does seem a little bit unusual. Like this is definitely not uh, like not anywhere really even near one of the small villages in the Velt. It is completely out on its own. And it is on the wrong side of the boundary. <sighs> so as Mitchell begins to approach this cottage, as he gets closer, he sees that, like, it is, it's surrounded by, like, a little fence, and within the fence area, like, the grass is cut back, there's a small, there's a couple small garden beds, uh, where there is uh, fruits and vegetables being grown. There are actually two of these whisper goats in the confines of, of this fencing. And it, there's almost a comical look to the... They have, like, little bells tied around their neck. Aww. That causes, like, all of this fur to, like, coalesce in two big blobs. The one around its head and the one around its body. But there are two of them, and as they kind of jump and frolic around these fields and chew on the grass, there's a little, uh, little jingling sound from the bell. Oh. There is... There's, like, a little flower garden, and there are some... You know, big chunky bees floating from uh, from flower to flower. It looks like there might be a, a high a beehive there that uh, whoever's living here is using to keep keep bees and gather honey. It just seems like a, a serene little kind of self sufficient plot of land. Huh. I mean, good for them. This is weird. It's weird that it's here, but good for them. Huh. He's just gonna like he's looking at it, just like, huh, huh, hi goats, what? And it is the that smell is even stronger now, and the food, whatever's being cooked, smells delicious. Oh, jeez, I mean, this is extremely weird, but I am a little hungry. But this is extremely weird, is the thing. This is extremely weird, but I'm extremely hungry. And that's kind of where I'm running into trouble, he says out loud to no one in particular. I think one of the, as, like, as he's relatively close to this this plot of land now, like, one of the goats, like, looks at him and kind of cocks its head in that way that animals do, where, like, it is aware that you're speaking, but it's probably not aware of what the things you're saying mean. Yeah. You wouldn't happen to know what you're doing here, would you? 
I think it like cocks its head even more and then kind of bounds off with a little jingle to find a pat like a tuft of tall grass that needs a goat mowing. Oh. Well, seem to be having a good time. Oh jeez. Well, this is definitely a safer thing than traveling through the night. I uh, I mean they are strangers. I think Mitchell is going to Oh wait, he has a, he has courage as part of his key. He's not as conflict averse as I am. He is just gonna knock on the door. <laughs> cat would cat wouldn't. Cat would never knock on a stranger's door for literally any reason. Mitchell, however, is braver than Cat, so that makes sense. I, I feel like Blaine is right there with Cat. Like I would have to be being chased by a knife wielding maniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to to ever knock on someone's door without like a legitimate purpose to be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a stranger. Why would I? Why would I? But I think Mitchell's thoughts are twofold. First of all, it's safer to be with more people. Second of all, the food smells good. But mostly. Mostly now he's curious. It is a a question that needs answering. It is. It absolutely is. So yeah, so Mitchell is able to find like a little gate that leads into this fenced in area with a little like quaint cobblestone path that leads up to the front door of this cottage. And it is really just like the most serene kind of picaresque thing you've ever seen. Huh. If Norman Rockwell existed in this world, it would be a Norman Rockwell painting. Okay, yeah. All right. Okay, all right. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly? What could possibly? So Mitchell knocks, bravely knocks on the door of this cottage. He has the courage to knock on stranger doors, which, wow, what a guy. It's a novel concept. Yeah. And as, like, as Mitchell approaches, he hears from inside kind of a light, airy humming. And when he knocks, the humming stops, and uh, a voice from inside says, Oh, hold on one moment. And Mitchell hears footsteps approaching the door, and the door opens, and there is this small old woman standing in the doorframe, probably barely five foot tall, bright white hair, kind of close cut, not uh, not terribly long. And she's wearing, uh, we'll say a blue dress that looks like she obviously, she made it herself. And it's probably very old. Like it is starting to get a little threadbare. Huh. How is Mitchell, is Mitchell tall? How, like how tall is Mitchell? I think he's of only slightly above average height, so like he's hovering around like five nine, five ten. Okay. He's not a he's not a huge guy. He's he's a little husky, but he's not an unimposing figure by any stretch of the imagination. Excellent. So like so he's not a giant, but he is still he is still very tall compared to this woman. So she has to kind of look up and she she is these Still, like, shockingly bright blue eyes. Oh, well, uh, hi. I just, sorry, I I was so surprised to see somebody living out here that I, uh, I guess I wanted to, um, make sure everything was okay. Oh, that is so sweet of you. I, I, uh, where are my mentors? I'm Marjorie. 
Marjorie, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, uh, Mitchell Webb. Mitchell, that's a that is a good name. Oh well, that's it was my mom's idea, not mine. But thank you. Well, your your mother must must be such a dear. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Ah, she's flawless in my eyes. She lets out this kind of musical little little chuckle, and she's like, "Ah, oh, that's that's just how my boy is." What are you doing out here, Mitchell? Oh, I was I was on my way back to back to the desert, uh, back home, and I happened across your cottage and thought, "Oh, this isn't a safe place for a cottage. I better make sure everyone's okay." And that's uh, that's what brought me here. Oh, I appreciate. I appreciate that you wanted to check in. And she she motions out to the goats that are kind of watching you intently at this point from a little ways. And she says, uh, Bob and Tommy do such a good job of keeping me safe out here. Well, good job, you two. Mitchell gives them a little a little wave. I think one of them, you don't know which, like, all, for a moment you think maybe nods at you. <laughs> As you wave, and then goes back to eating the grass that's in front of uh, in front of it. Oh well, I'm glad to hear you're doing all right. Um, you're if you're perfectly safe, then I've got no reason to fear. I'll I'll carry on on my way. Thank you for reassuring a curious traveler. Oh, would you would you like to stay for dinner? I have uh, I have a stew on. I would hate to impose. Uh, it's no, uh, I, I'm here all by myself. I, it's no op, no imposition whatsoever. Then, Marjorie, I would be delighted. It'd be nice to have someone that isn't a goat to, to talk to over dinner. I would be delighted. I've been mostly talking to the goats myself these days. I mean, they're good company, mm. but it gets a little, a little droll sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And Marjorie kind of steps out of the way of the door and like usher, motions for you to come in. Oh, well, thank you. And as you come in, it, it's sort of, it looks like a basically a two-room cottage. The rooms are, it's not super small, but like the the one room uh, which you enter into seems to be both like a kitchen and a dining area. There's in the kind of far corner a table with three chairs around it. There's a large kind of wide-mouthed fireplace, which you can see is where the stew is being cooked. There's a cast iron stew pot hanging in the fire. And that smell now is so intense, it fills this whole cottage. And then there is a small door that you would imagine leads to probably some sort of sleeping area. Oh, what a lovely home you've got. Oh, thank you so much. I try to keep it tidy. And she, like, she ushers you in that sort of grandmotherly way over over to the table. She says, would you like, would you like a cup of tea? You know, tea sounds wonderful. Thank you. And uh, she goes over to the fireplace where there is also a kettle kind of sitting on the stones outside of the mouth of the fireplace. And she begins, she gets a, a, a cup and put some leaves into it and begins to uh, let the tea steep. What is, uh, what is Mitchell doing? I think he's just sitting quietly and looking around. It's uh, sitting quietly and looking around is what, uh, what Mitchell does best. So he's um, actually, I would like to, I think I'm gonna roll some dice 
I was just about to ask if you would like to uh, that sitting around looking is to kind of uh, feel out the the surroundings. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's Mitchell for you. He's a he's that kind of kid. Um, I'm thinking sensitivity, humanity. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. So yeah, he's he's looking around the place. He's largely watching Marjorie because, like, he hasn't not figured out that there's something weird here. He hasn't figured out that there's something weird here, but he hasn't not done it. Right? It's true. There, I just, like you said, the just the existence of this is weird. Yeah. And then especially, like, an area that's so crawling with horrors to have this just, like, this sweet little old lady living there seems... It, it's unusual. Yeah. And I wouldn't say he's suspicious, per se, but he's definitely not not suspicious. <laughs> I feel like even in the face of a sweet old lady offering tea and stew, uh, there is plenty of reason to... Not be not suspicious. He's not unsuspicious. That's where the dice are. Three successes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a... Mitchell's a very observant boy. He's, uh... It's the one thing he's good at. (laughs) He does not have a very balanced nature. So, yeah. So, let's... Let's see. What does Mitchell observe? The first thing Mitchell notices... Because this is in the direct area in which Mitchell is in. There is the chair that Marjorie directed you to. And then there is the chair that Marjorie obviously always sits in. And there is the the third chair at this table very obviously has not been moved in a very long time. Just the way that, like, it's sitting there. It, it's a little bit dusty. You can kind of see, like, more recent kind of imprints in the floor of the of the cottage where these two chairs have been moved. Those are not there for this third chair. It is, it has, it has been sitting in its exact location for a very long time. I think the other thing that Mitchell notices is that there is... Like a, 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 I probably made out of like dried grass. There's like a, a mat in front of the fireplace. And looking at that mat, Mitchell can see that there's kind of an indentation in the mat that would lead you to believe that there's probably a cellar door beneath that mat. Thank you to Kat for designing such a cool game and agreeing to let me run a spooky version of it. And thank you to you for listening. If you like what you heard, check out Heroic Chord over at peachgardengames.itch.io. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join me on June 11th for more Heroic Chord with Kat McDonald. Until then, remember that you are strong. You are beautiful, and you are not alone.
pray to God.